0: Well, good morning. <clears throat> you'll have to forgive me because uh, um, these Santa Ana winds <laughs> have done a number on my allergies. And uh, so if I get into a coughing spell and cough up a lung or two, you'll understand. Um, I don't know if it's a good or a bad omen, but on my way this morning to church, I stopped off at a, the A.M.P.M. a new one that's over there by off of campus. And, as I was going in to pay for the gas, uh, I just happened to meet my doctor, and he was in his scrub, so uh, maybe he could have treated me right then, Dr. Martinez, but uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I just want to go over just uh rod kind of touched on some things uh this morning on uh this uh, the conference. It was uh, a, a real different experience for. For me and uh, Margie, we uh, it was absolutely packed with ministry. I mean, there were two messages in the morning. Uh, you know, you had breakfast, two messages, then you had lunch, and then two messages, then you had dinner, and then you had one message. So there was plenty of ministry, and the ministry was absolutely outstanding. And so, as I kind of just touch on some of the notes that I took during this time, I am hoping that I will. Uh, whet your appetite to uh, go ahead and get the CDs, get the MP3, and uh, to listen to it, because it's something that you have to listen a couple times over to even uh, get all or some of the things that they talked about. The speakers, of course, were Randy Amos, who is now residing up in uh, the Oregon area, and uh, Joe Reese, who has now moved from Sault Ste. Marie over to what's called the Ottawa Valley, um, to be really close to his oldest son, Matt, who's uh, full time in the Lord's work there, um, Joe 's message uh, was again in 2 Timothy 2, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Timothy two, one to seven. If we can turn to that, let 's go ahead and read that <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must first uh, be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And basically, Joe started off by saying... after salvation after a person has come to a personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ has received him as their lord and savior there is a time when you make a decision whether you're going to go on for the lord or you're not now the bible talks about being a disciple and but first of all you must become a believer before you become a disciple. was When I was at the gas station this morning, a young man came up to me and he said, uh, I need some money for gas. I said, really? Where's your car? And he pointed it over to it at another pump. He says, I'm out of gas. And I, I'm just, I, I'm out of money. And so I used to say, no thanks. Uh, you, know, goes, goes, you know, they're panhandling. But even if they're panhandling now, the Lord uh, worked it out of my heart that I, uh, I should give him something. And so I gave him a couple bucks. But then I said, I've got something that's worth more than that money I just gave you. And I pulled out a gospel tract and shared with him that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the beginning. That's where we start. And then God has opened up these beautiful blessings to everyone who has put their faith and trust in him. And so um, he said that we we need to go on. You're either going to go on or you're not. But to go on is to continue in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you have become a Christian... Are you continually, continually daily getting into God's word, reading it and obeying it? That's what it means to continue to go on. And let's take a look at John chapter eight and verse 31. Now the one thing that uh, I experienced this last week was that uh, these men of God. Uh, we're, we're, they were going through scriptures so fast. I, I, you know, I was writing as fast as I possibly could. And uh, hopefully I've just uh, hit on a couple of these verses. In John eight thirty one, it says here, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my, my disciples indeed. So to be, be a disciple means to abide in His Word, to read it and to obey it. To go on is also to count the cost of discipleship. There's a cost involved, people. Just say, well, I'm just going to live out my Christian life and everything's going to be great. No, there's a huge cost in becoming a disciple. There is no cost in becoming a Christian. It's all been paid for. It's just you receive it you receive salvation as a free gift, but to become a disciple will cost you everything. Everything that you have. And so in let's take a look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse 33 It says, so likewise, whosoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's the cost of going on, of being a disciple. You have to give up everything. And he will get into it in just a little bit. (coughs) So if we go back to 2 Timothy, I hope you kept your finger there. In 2 Timothy, I didn't, (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he talks about (coughs) being a soldier, a good soldier. So what are the characteristics of a good soldier? First of all, a good soldier is not distracted by the things of the world. And so, thanks, Nick, I've already got water. (laughs) Um, But he's not distracted. Can you imagine if you're on guard duty and it's your job to look out for the enemy and you fall asleep on guard duty? Now, you'd have to ask Rod and some of the others that were in the military. I don't know what the penalty is, for falling asleep on guard duty, but I'm sure it's pretty severe. I was—I can remember one time I was uh, talking with a, a young man uh, when I had a summer job at Oscar Mayer, where my dad was working in in, uh, in Vern, Vernon, and uh, he had just come from Vietnam, and he was telling me about that. He said, "Well, I—it was a, I, I had been up for days, and he said I drank all this coffee." And then they put me on guard duty, and he says, and I was on a hill, and uh, I was supposed to watch out for the compound, you know, because the enemy was out there. And uh, he said, that as hard as I tried, he says, I couldn't keep awake, and I fell asleep. And at that time, an uh, officer, uh, the lieutenant, this his Marines, was in a Jeep, and he was coming up the road, and he got to the guard post and saw that I was asleep, and he he walked up very quietly, took the gun off my shoulder, and he says, I was so tired, I was totally asleep. He took the gun and took the butt of the gun and just cracked it over my helmet. <laughs> he says, I was sleeping, and all of a sudden I saw stars, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then the uh, officer said, you know what, I could have shot you. He says, because you could have, you could have endangered all these people, all these other soldiers, and yourself. And that's what happens when we're distracted. Now, how is a Christian distracted in the warfare that we're in? We're distracted by the things of the world. You see, the world wants to get your attention. It wants to entertain you. It wants you to get involved in its system and distract you from what the, the job that a soldier is, is required to do. And when it does that, you're vulnerable. Or you're putting yourself in a dangerous spot for attack, not only personally, not only for the people that you are guarding. And you think about that here at, this, at Claremont. Every one of us is, is in a warfare. Every one of us. There are no exceptions if you're a Christian. See, you weren't drafted into God's army, you enlisted. You, there was a time that you said, you know what, I want you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. And so, whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you're in a warfare. And if you're distracted by the things of this world and how easy that happens, it's absolutely deadly and dangerous for you and for the, and for the people that you love. And also, in, in situations for a soldier, even the country. You can put your country in danger If you're distracted by the things of this world. And so he then said, the things of this world or the distractions, they can do several things. And I just listed seven of them that, uh, that Joe had gone over. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we'll look at verse 17. And am going to read down to verse 22. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt down before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do that I may have that I may inherit eternal life?" So Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one's good, but one. that is God. You know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come, take up your cross and follow me but he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions so the one thing that these distractions can do initially is to keep you from even getting saved keep a person from getting saved and that's what happened to this young man he, he was kept from getting saved and the second thing that it to do let's turn over to John 15 John chapter fifteen, and verse five. The second thing you can do, it says, uh, the Lord Jesus says, uh, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So the second thing that that the distractions can cause is that you bear no fruit. There's no. You know, when you look at your Christian life, where's the fruit? You know, and if you're not bearing fruit, what good are you to yourself and to the people around you? And I've given this illustration before in our backyard. We had a plum tree. And I planted it many years ago. The third year, I got a really nice crop of plums. After that, it produced zero plums. I mean, it would blossom you get the nice blossoms, and you get the leaves and everything, and no fruit. I sprayed it. I fertilized it. I did everything to that tree, and it produced no fruit. And I've mentioned this before. And there's some new people here, so you heard, you'll hear the story for the first time. But when I was up in the Central Valley with a friend of mine, and he was having a Bible study with some farmers, some fruit farmers, I asked them, what do I do? I've got this plum tree and it's not producing any fruit. And I told them all the stuff I did and they said, oh, you need to, you need to add some iron to that tree. And so I said, iron, what, what's that? I mean, is that a type of a... they said, no, you take your, your uh, Husqvarna chainsaw out and you cut it down. I said, oh, that kind of iron, okay. And that's what I had to do because it stopped producing fruit. Look at, every, every one of us has to look at our lives. Are we producing fruit for the Lord? And how do you do that? It's by abiding in God's word. And so the third thing is, let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify means to put in, put him aside for a, a, a purpose. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now watch this. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct or manner of life in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so the third thing that being distracted by the world, it'll keep you from having a good testimony. You know, when people look at you, what, who do they think about? You know, the, it's great to have Bible knowledge. You know, and they said, boy, I wish I had Bible knowledge like that person. And that's a great compliment. Or someone else, I wish I could witness like that other person. That would be a great compliment. But to say, you know what? That person reminds me of Christ. That's the greatest compliment of all. When people look at our lives, are they reminded of Christ. That's a very important thing, and so the next one. Um, let's take a look at First John. Just turn over a couple pages to First John, chapter two. First John chapter two and verses verse not, starting at verse nine. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. And so, the other thing that it will keep you do it will keep you from having God's love in your, in your life for others. So if you're distracted by the world, by the flesh, by Satan, those, the things that it will do, it will keep you from magnifying God's love in your heart. And then... And um, I'm just going to kind of just refer to these scriptures. In James 4.4, 4, the world will distract you, and it will also make you at war with God. And then number seven, it will keep you from fellowship. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. Then Joe just briefly mentioned about a good athlete. And <clears throat> the one thing about a good athlete as we read in Second Timothy two, one to seven, is that an athlete must run by the rules in order to get the crown. So, we all know about running. Okay, we've all seen people run around the track. Well, supposing that uh, you know you're you're in the race and everybody's ahead of you. I mean, they're just way ahead of you. And you thought, wow, the only way I'm going to win is if I cut across the infield. And so you do. On the, fa- on the final lap, you thought the only way I'm going to win is to get in front by cutting across the infield. So you cut across the infield, and you get in front of the, the front runner, and then you cross the line, and uh, no one cheers for you. Why? Because you broke the rules. And this is our rule book on how to live a, di- a godly life every day. Now, when you get into a race in a competition, wouldn't it make sense that you knew the rules ahead of time, right? I mean, how many have seen these little kids when they're playing t-ball? Man, they're getting up there, and they're, they're missing it, and you know, even it's on that, that pole. And then finally, they hit it, and guess where they run? To third base. <laughs> or they run to, they run to uh, second base, or they, you know. And everybody's going, oh, no, I'm going to go to first base, you know, because they don't know the rules. And we have to know the rules as Christians. We have to know what God's word says and how that we're to live our lives so that we can go on. And not go on for ourselves. Remember that. It's not for ourselves. It's for God's glory to see his kingdom expanded. So, um, so you have to know the rules. And you have to compete. Or what would happen if you don't compete by the rules? You're disqualified. You're set, up, you're set aside. You're aside. And as Christians, we don't want to be disqualified. Now that, We're not talking about losing your salvation because the Bible is very clear on that. Once you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved for the, all of eternity. But you can be set aside as far as being a testimony for the Lord if you get distracted, if you don't follow the rules, if you, if you don't live your life according to what the Lord has laid out in his word and abiding in Christ. And so it's very important... That uh, first, and the other thing is that a, an athlete must be disciplined. And uh, Joe mentioned another name for discipline would be God-controlled. Um, a disciplined life is an effective life. Now, let me give an example. When I was teaching up at Big Bear, uh, I had, I had the, the blessings in all my 35 years of teaching that an overwhelming majority of my principals knew the Lord and loved the Lord. And that, that to me, was, uh, it was really great. I loved it. My second principal at Big Bear, his name was Len Shipley. And I, I, I got along so well with him. Uh, he, he loved to run. He was a marathon runner. And he would train every day. It, I mean, we're talking the middle of January. And I'm driving along the highway on the way to, to the high school. And it's in the single digits. I mean, we're talking really, really cold. There's snow all over the place. There's ice in the road. And here's Lynn, you know, cap on, you know, gloves on, you know, sweats. And he's, he's running along because it's about, you know, 6 or 6.30 in the morning. And he's running along. And I give him a little beep as I, in my nice warm car as I wave, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, but he would run he would run dozens of miles every day to get ready for this marathon. And so he ran the marathon this one particular weekend. Well, the next Monday, he came into my wood shop. He always loves to come in, and we just talk and stuff and after school. And so I asked, I said, hey, Lynn, how'd you do in the marathon? He says, oh, not good at all. I said, well, what happened? He said, um, I didn't get out of my comfort zone. Now, some of you guys, uh, some of you people that might be runners might understand this. For me, if I run two driveways, I'm, I'm done. I mean, I've, I've hit what they call the wall, you know. I just, that, that's it, you know. But uh, he says, I was running, and I hit the wall, and instead of going past that wall, which I guess in marathon running, it's about the 20th mile or something out of the 26th, uh, he says, I stayed in my comfort zone, and I lost the race. And that really, we talked about that, and I said, man, that's just like the Christian life. You know, we're running and running, and we come up against an obstacle. We, we come to that proverbial wall it is, as it is, and do we go past that, or we give up? We just stay in our quote-unquote comfort zone. How many of us here today, in your Christian life, are you staying in the comfort zone? You don't want to go beyond, you don't want, you know, I mean, I got everything dialed in and everything is just, you know, I'm not putting too much exercise, I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going beyond to where I can win, I'm just staying back. Well, the Christian life, as a good athlete, goes beyond that. And they go into, what we'll talk about in just a second or two, um, the second mile Christian And so I'm going to ask you right now, and we'll go into it in just a little bit. Are you a first mile or are you a second mile Christian? And I asked this, I was asked since this conference, I've been asking myself that all the time. It's been going over my mind over and over again. Dave Dixon, are you a one mile or a second mile Christian? And so to neglect a responsibility that you've been given, you will still be held responsible. Now, what? Here, as far as Athlete, when it comes to doing the things of the Lord, you've made a commitment. Let's say you've committed to Awana, and you're going to be a leader. Are you only going to show up if it's convenient, or if you know if uh, Billy is might get a little sniffle, so therefore I better stay home, or or you come up with some really flimsy excuse not to come out to and and fulfill your responsibility? Are you a one mile Christian? Or are you the second mile Christian? Are you going beyond that wall? We have to ask ourselves this. It, and want is just one example. When we have made a promise to God. You know, God holds our promises as seriously as he holds his promises. In fact, he tells us in his word, if you make a promise and you don't fulfill it, it's better that you never made it. That's serious stuff. And so when we agree, when we commit ourselves to a particular uh, ministry or activity or an agreement, then God expects us to fulfill it. And not if it's convenient to us. Not if it's convenient. We have to go that second mile. Obedience, now in Sunday school, they love to sing that, obedience is the very best way to what? Show that you believe. But Joseph's obedience is the very best way to show or to say to God, I love you. That's pretty good. Obedience is the best way to say to God, I love you. And so he expects us to obey him. And then, he finally finishes up with the farmer. And he says, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruits. And for a while, I was thinking, well, that means that, okay, a farmer, you know, he, he uh, gets his crop, and because he put the planted and all that sort of thing, he should be the first one to be partakers of that, you know, he should be the first one that eats from that uh, crop. That's not what it means at all. Because let's take a look at Exodus, oh, man, I'm going to run out of time, Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23, 19. And here's the Lord telling Moses, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What he was saying is that the very first part of your crop, the first fruits, that belongs to me, God says. That belongs to me. And so I thought, well, what what in the world is he talking about here about this, the farmer? Well, basically what he's saying is that the farmer must labor first in order to partake of the harvest. You must labor first. Now, what does that mean? Okay. My cousins, at this particular time of year, this last week, are harvesting their their crop. Okay? Okay. Now, they planted the crop back in April, and I tell you everything's scientific now. I mean, the soil has to be exactly a certain temperature within a degree or two, or they won't plant the corn. They won't plant the seed, and it has to be a certain moisture content. It ha- I mean, all these kinds of things, and it has to have you know they have to disk it and then they have to you know fertilize it and all that sort of thing, and then they put the crop in. Now, supposing you're a farmer. And supposing you say, well, you know, it's that time of year that I need to plant the crop. And so you go and buy the seed. You have these big, huge bags of seed. And you take them and you put them in your barn. And you say, well, I also need some fertilizer. So you get truckloads of fertilizer. And you just pile it up outside the barn. And then you just sit. And then you come along in, in October. And you're going out there. Where in the world is the crop? Where, where is it? I bought the seed. I got the fertilizer. Where's the crop? Well, you didn't labor. You didn't put it in the ground. So why are you expecting a, a harvest if you haven't labored first? And if we expect to see blessings at this assembly, and if you want to see blessings of God in your life, you have to put forth effort. Yes, it's an effort to get up in the early in the morning and get into God's word, and just put your heart before the Lord and said, Lord, please speak to me. If there's something in my life that's wrong, I confess it. You know, or you think the Lord puts it on your heart, you confess it, and then you forsake it. And if you labor in that respect, what's going to happen? You're going to see fruit in your life. And you're going to see people saved. And you're going to see people growing in the Lord. You're going to see all these things if you're willing to labor first. Now, to me, labor sounds like work. Yes, it is. We've got a thing coming up in two weeks, a little over two weeks. We've, it's called the street fair. And, folks, that's a lot of work, a lot of preparation. And that whole day is an incredible amount of energy expended. I've only got one pe- one person signed up, and it's not me. I mean, I understand if you know you can't do it, you can't do it. But if if we're well, if we're interested in seeing souls saved in this community, if we're if we're interested in seeing the gospel getting out, and planting the seed, then we've got to actually plant the seed. You know. Don't don't put the bags of seed in the barn and, and expect it to uh, grow. It's not going to happen. And so, as we're closing here, I've only got five minutes left. Isn't it interesting that the clock's not there? Right. I could actually go ten minutes. You wouldn't know. Okay. All right. Yeah. Y'all have phones. I know. Um, Joe's ministry really affected me in a, in a great way. Uh, Randy's was even is equal, is astounding. Uh, He said, he says, I'm going to do an overview of of Isaiah. And I got excited. I thought, all right, we're going through Isaiah on on Wednesday night. Oh, man. (laughs) After he was talking for just a few minutes, I thought, man, are we reading the same book? (laughs) I mean, he was getting stuff out of Isaiah that I thought, was that in there? I must have missed it. And he was going through the same chapters that we've been studying. And he was pulling out nuggets of gold about the Lord Jesus, the, the promised Messiah and the suffering Messiah. And it, it actually kind of went along with a little story that uh, Joe uh, related, that up, up in Sault Ste. Marie, there's a town up there that was completely based on uh, silver mining. And a company came in many, many, many years ago and started to mine the silver. And they, you know, the town got built up and everything. But all of a sudden, the silver stopped. And so the town turned into a ghost town because that was their main source of income. Well, years later, someone else decided, they came in, they bought the land, they bought the mineral rights, and they continued to mine. Now get this. They went to the end of the shaft of the previous company and went only two feet more and hit the mother load. That's all they had to do, just two feet more. And they, they hit more silver than the previous company had ever come across. And you know what? That spoke to me. You know, if, if I really want nuggets of gold from God's word, I have to go that extra two feet. I have to go that second mile. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord says, if someone constrains you to go one mile, you go with them two. You go that extra mile if you want to see results. And so this company hit the mother load after only two feet past where the other company had stopped short, and so he went on and he talked about uh, the pictures in Isaiah we' um, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I got another hour of notes here but um you you'll need to get you'll need to get the um the tapes but just real quickly, in just closing, I got news when I got back. I ta- came over and talked to my mom <clears throat> and my sister. The, this last week, a very dear, godly man uh, went into the presence of the Lord. Gary, you know him, Frank Arnold. He passed away. And Frank Arnold, to me, was a picture of a person that would go the second mile. Uh, when he started here, when, when this assembly first started, and with, through his efforts and another man, Wesley Dewhurst, our Sunday school got up to its top number of about 160 kids. It was incredible. Things were going well because why? Because Frank Arnold, every Saturday afternoon and evening, would take his family and they would go door to door. And they would knock on doors inviting people to go to Sunday school. And those kids came out. And those kids got saved. And we, we're going to see so many people in heaven because of the of the of going the second mile that a guy named Frank Arnold did. We got the street fair, like I mentioned, coming up in a couple of weeks. And then finally, one of the men there, uh, the guy that did the announcements, he's from Napa, the assembly up in Napa. And um, he said almost with tears in his eyes, he said a group of young people led by Tim Brown went from Silica. They brought uh, a group of about 20 young people from Silica Chapel in Sacramento along with Tim Brown. They went to Napa and they got uh, a bunch of literature, gospel literature, uh, bulletins for the chapel and they went and knocked on 700 doors in the town of Napa inviting people out to their church and to their Sunday school. That's the extra mile, because we're talking maybe a two- or three-hour drive one way. They went the extra mile, but what was the result? They've seen people coming out to their chapel. The question that I ask myself, and I want to ask you as we close, are you willing to go that extra bit and and, we're, and I'm talking about in your love for one another and in your study for God's word. We've got to get into this book and we've got to read it and we've got to obey it. And we've got to ask God to work in our lives. If you've committed to a ministry, make sure that you follow through on that commitment. Be it Awana, Boys Brigade, Discovery Time, Thursday night, whatever it might be. And maybe it's just... As you, uh, as you work during the day, and you meet people, share the gospel with them. I mean, I don't know about that young man that I met this morning at the gas station. He might—he could have died by now. He could have gotten in a car accident. You know, no, none of us are guaranteed. And if there's anybody here this morning who has never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior, you don't have any guarantee. Of tomorrow, today to now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your love for us and how that you just didn't leave us to ourselves, but you gave us a guidebook, a rule book to follow. Lord, I I know how you've spoken to my heart in the last day or two from the conference, the things that were mentioned there, but Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would use the scriptures that we talked about this morning to maybe uh, encourage someone here today to go on and not to give up, to go that second mile. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, bless the rest of this day. And and now as we go next door and uh, have the lunch, we would ask that you would bless that food to our bodies. Once again, it is a just a beautiful indication of how much you care for us and that you provided for our very needs. But yet, Father, we ask that we'll use that food to uh, use that energy to serve you better. We pray, Father, you bless those people that have prepared it. And so now, Father, if there's anyone here, and only you know that, that they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, oh, they... They've done religious things. They've uh, maybe said religious prayers, but they've looked in their lives and there's been no change at all. They're the same as they were before they've said any prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, convict them of their sin, and may they trust Christ before it's eternally too late. So part us with your blessing, we ask, in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.